Well, thank you. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes this morning. Book of Ecclesiastes after the book of a couple books after Psalms, in case you're not sure. We'll get to that in just a bit. I'm going to just open up by letting you know this is not a normal sermon today. Uh, If you were here for Easter, you know I preached this text of Scripture at Easter, so I robbed myself of a sermon. So I have uh, written a different sermon on the same passage so to, uh, to a large degree on 1 Corinthians 15, 1-14 because I, we simply can't pass over this section as we go into chapter 15. Also, this is unusual in the sense that uh, I'm going to give you a very, very long introduction. We're going to build up to the chapter 15 as we go through. So get ready for that. That's not normal, but uh, as we build up and get the background of what I want to say today, I trust this will be helpful to you and to your life before the Lord. Uh, as, we, uh, as we think about these things, you know, I doubt that I'd get much of an argument from anybody if I said to you that we're living in difficult and uncertain times. Uh, everywhere we turn, there, there is discouraging news. Let me, let me discourage you. Uh, our, our country is deeply divided over almost everything, and many believe that we're headed towards civil war. Or, or the fall of democracy or some form of anarchy and both China and Russia uh, are uh, on the war path. Inflation is out of control and no matter what we do to, to calm it, it seems to be making it worse, not better. Climate change is real. Uh, we have real droughts and real fires and, and severe weather. Uh, the issue is what do we do about it and what's causing it? Those are the, are the divides. Suicide, especially among the young people, is at an all-time high. Uh, the second leading cause of death for people between 15 and 24 is suicide. Isn't that amazing? And there are 93,000 overdose deaths in the United States during 2020. 20, 93,000 overdose deaths. Nearly one in five U.S. adults will have a di- di- diagnostic a medical health event every given year, whatever that means. And disability payments are are incredibly, they've skyrocketed. COVID-19 virus simply uh, won't go away. And uh, everybody wants to predict the next uh, virus, next pandemic that's coming along. Racial divide is uh, really rising and not not getting better. Uh, Murder is rising as well as, as, as other crimes. A critical race theory has infiltrated our courts, our schools, uh, our institutions, and is threatening to undermine our society. Uh, the so-called Christian nationalism that we'll have to talk about someday soon is a reaction to a large degree to critical race theory and can be just as deadly. The LBGTQ plus agenda seems to be in control of our whole world system and uh, is furthering our, our spiritual spiral uh, and moral spiral as Romans chapter 1 said it would do. And we seem to be losing our minds. Uh, we seem to have lost our minds. Uh, we can no longer define what a woman is after all these centuries. Uh, people can identi- identify as anything they want to be. Uh, I was in uh, southern Indiana preaching at a conference uh, just recently in Evansville, Indiana area. And uh, there I was talking to one of our former members who's moved to that area. And uh, keep in mind, this is southern Indiana. It's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a Bible Belt area. It's a country area. Uh, as they moved down there, they looked into the school system to put their daughter in the school, and uh, they decided not to because there was a little boy in the school system that identified as a cat. And not only did he identify as a cat, 
but the, uh, the administration put a kitty litter box in the bathroom for him. Now, this is southern Indiana, so they decided that they had to go another route with their schooling. Well, we lost our minds, I think. Uh, baby boomers are afraid of getting old. Millennials are concerned that they're not special. Uh, the Generation Z are worried about everything. Medical costs have skyrocketed and uh, we're living longer. I'm not so convinced we're living better. And keep in mind that no matter how hard we try, we cannot conquer death. Uh, the COVID uh, crisis, if we might want to call it that, uh, really was an eye-opener to many people. Everybody knew they were going to die. I mean, Scripture taught that. History's taught that. We, observation teaches that. People die. But you're not supposed to die young, right? You're not supposed to die unless you're old and sick. And, and then we've started finding that many people with COVID died younger. Now, the majority died as older people and sick people. But a lot of people that you didn't think would die, died. I had several friends who had nothing really wrong with them particularly. Not old. But they died of COVID. And this was almost like a shock to many people. People are dying? How can they die? And yet they did. It's an eye-opener. It's, it's awakening to us to, rec to recognize that death is real and that people do die. And no matter what we try to do, we do not conquer death. Death is looming ahead for each and every one of us. Now, no, unless you're extremely nearsighted or extremely ignorant of history, you should realize that these are not new issues. Every generation, every society, every group of people have dealt with the same things throughout history, different surface issues, but always the same core issues have had to be addressed. And so there's nothing particularly new here. All ages and all times and all people have struggled with the similar things I've just mentioned. And these things rob us of peace, they rob us of joy, they rob us of contentment, and they replace it with uh, things such as anxiety and fear and uncertainty. And our world today is filled with anxiety and fear. In other words, mankind has been scratching for answers to these kinds of issues since the Garden of Eden. And they seem to never solve the issues that afflict them, that they face in life. So when it comes to these kinds of struggles, and the, and the struggles of life that you and I face that we always have faced, that we always will face until Christ comes again. There are options that we have to examine and look at. Michael Horton in his book, Recovering Our Sanity, suggests there are three options that we have when it comes to all these kinds of issues. And I'm going to borrow from him this morning on those options. First of all, there's utopianism. Uh, this is the idea that uh, given enough time, enough money, uh, enough philosophical and political ideology, the world will be reformed, and we will solve all these kinds of problems, and somehow we'll get along with everybody in, in equity and peace and in harmony. I think of the songs that flowed out of the 60s and the 70s. Remember some of them, uh, All We Need Is Love, repeated over and over and over. Uh, another song, Come On People Now, Smile On Your Brother, Everybody Get Together, Let Us Love One Another Right Now. You know, if we just had more love, we'd be okay. Um, Peter, Paul, and Mary suggested if you only had a hammer, it'd be okay. <laughs> but in the recesses of our minds, uh, we, we tend to hold out for this option, don't we? We, we know this is ridiculous. We're not going to solve all these issues. We're not going to have utopia on earth. 
But in the back of our minds, folks, I'm going to suggest to you that you think that way. Let me give you some reasons I believe that. Our fairy tales, first of all. All of our fairy tales end with what? And they lived happily ever after. Right? We read those stories to our children as they went to bed and, and almost promised them that one day they'll live happily ever after. Uh, why don't the fairy tales ever go on to the next few years? You know, after they've gotten married, after they've gotten older and sicker and the kids rebelled at home and, and they had all, uh, all these things and then they faced death. Why is Snow White still Snow White? You know, why, why don't we talk about that? Because we like to think there comes a time when we live happily ever after. All of our love songs are filled with that same kind of jargon. If you just find the right person, just the right person, you'll live happily ever after. All of our romance books, all of our romance movies are pretty much of the same genre as that. Even the scriptures talk this way. You think about Jeremiah chapter 6. The false prophets said to the people in Jeremiah chapter 6, peace, peace. You know, you, you, you people have peace coming. And God says, no, you don't. There is no peace for you because of your rebelliousness. And so we find these things are not only true uh, of modern times, but of ancient times as well. Perhaps a song that captured utopianism as much as any and considered one of the greatest songs of the 20th century is uh, John Lennon's song, Imagine. In Imagine, he said this, Imagine there is no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Ah, imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for. No religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be one. That might be the anthem of utopianism. Just imagine what it would be like if there's no heaven, if there's no hell, if there's no religion, if somehow we all simply got along. But this utopian dream continues to elude us, doesn't it? It continues to, the fact is the world is not getting better. Very few people believe that. The world is on a spiral and all of our technology and all of our money and all of our sophistication and all of our knowledge is not helping us very much. We're on a downward spiral in many ways and we know it. And even if we could solve all these temporal issues I've been talking about, we would still face that pesky little problem called death. We can't avoid it. Lenin may imagine there's no heaven and there's no hell and there's no religion. But he can't avoid the reality of heaven and hell. And he knows that today. So, if utopianism really doesn't work, it's ridiculous. The opposite option is despair. And so I want to turn to that for just a few moments. We don't buy into Lenin's dream of living happily ever after. So we move to despair. Dreams of utopianism is melting under the, the fire of fear. Despair, despair and fear. I believe our, our country in many ways is gripped by fear. I believe many Christians are gripped by fear. Even though they shouldn't be, they are. They're gripped by, by fear. They live by fear. And folks, let me say this, a little commercial for you. This is going to be exaggerated in your life. Despair and fear as you invest yourself more and more in your news silos 
whatever those are, Fox, CNN, uh, social media, whatever they might be, as 24-7 we're told constantly that this world is is coming to an end, that everything is falling apart. And if you listen to that stuff, listen, if you listen to that stuff constantly throughout the day, you are going to live in despair and fear. Especially if you're not balancing that out with the scriptures that teach the truth that we'll look at in just a few moments. I, if I could assign to you a homework assignment that would lead you to be an absolutely fearful, despairing person, it would be to listen to, to news all day long or turn on somebody's blog three hours a day. That would be my assignment. If I wanted to make you miserable, that's what I would pray for you, that you would do. I don't want to make you miserable. I would encourage you to not spend all your time in social media and on the news broadcasts and so forth, listening to people top one another with fear arguments and news that they have to generate to get clicks and viewers. Be very careful with that. Don't be sucked in by these things. Instead, move towards the scriptures and what it has to say. If John Lennon's Imagine was the anthem of utopianism, Peggy Lee's song is that all there is is the anthem of despair. Written at about the same time in 1969, Peggy Lee sang this song that became a Grammy Award winner and one of the most, uh, imp- uh, considered one of the most important songs in the, in the 20th century. She was just the opposite of Lennon. I'm going to read a little bit of this to you. She said, I remember when I was a little girl, our house caught on fire. I'll never forget the look on my father's face as he gathered me up in his arms and raced me towards the burning building out, of the, out on the pavement. And I stood there shivering in my pajamas and I watched the whole world go up in flames And when it was all over, I said to myself, is that all there is to a fire? Is that all there is? Is that all there is? If that's all there is, my friends, then let's keep dancing. Let's break out the booze and have a ball if that's all there is. And when I I was 12 years old, my daddy took me to the circus, the greatest show on earth. There were clowns and elephants and dancing bears and a beautiful lady in pink tights flew high above our heads. And I sat there watching and I had the feeling that something was missing. I don't know what, but... When it was over, I said to myself, is that all there is to the circus? Is that all there is? Is that all there is? If that's all there is, my friends, let's keep dancing. Let's break out the booze. Let's have a ball, if that's all there is. And then I fell in love with the most wonderful boy in the world. We'd take long walks by the river or just sat long hours gazing into each other's eyes. We were so very much in love that one day we went away and I thought, he went away and I thought I'd die. But I didn't. And when I didn't, I said to myself, is that all there is to love? Is that all there is? If that all, is that all there is? If that's all there is, my friends, then let's keep... Then she stops. I know what you must be saying to yourselves. If that's the way she feels about it, why doesn't she just end it all? Oh, no, not me. I'm not ready for that final disappointment. Because I know just as well as I'm standing here talking to you, that when that final moment comes and I'm breathing my last breath, I'll be saying to myself... Is that all there is? Is that all there is? If that's all there is, my friends, let's keep dancing. Let's break out the booze and have a ball if that's all there is. That's the anthem of despair. You know, the sacred scriptures would recognize this. Ecclesiastes, I asked you to turn to a while ago. King Solomon, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing this passage of scripture. I want you to notice how he opens this passage. 
the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanity, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What advantage does a man have in all his work, which he does under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Also the sun rises and the sun sets and hastens to its place. It rises then, then again, blowing towards the south and turning towards the north. The wind continues swirling around on its circular courses and the wind returns. And the rivers flow into the sea, and yet the sea is not full. To the place where the rivers flow, there they will flow again. All things are wearisome. Man is not able to tell it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. That which has been, that is that which will be. And that which has been done is that which will be done. So there is nothing new under the sun. Despair. If you read the book of Ecclesiastes properly, what you find out is he is saying this. As long as we live under the sun, without a connection with God and the recognition of Almighty God, our lives should be a life of despair. That is the way it was meant to be. And if you are here today without Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you're not in despair, it's only because you don't get the point. You should be. And the scriptures themselves confirm that. You know, the average person never goes this far. Most people simply shut their eyes and shoulder, shoulder through the best they can. They do the best they can with life, making the best of whatever they've got. But still looming up ahead, even for the best of lives, is that issue of death. Death is coming, and it's coming for all. And then what? Fortunately, there remains another option, and that is in our text, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You said, I don't think he's ever going to get there. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, there's another option. It's the option of hope. And I'm so excited about bringing you this option today. The option of hope. This is the posture of the Christian. And let me say this, only the Christian has this hope. This is not the hope of the unbeliever who is hoping for the very best, some kind of utopian idea. It is the hope that is grounded in something firm and, and solid as we've talked about in our singing earlier today. It's not based on fantasies. It's not based upon political uh, hopes and dreams is based upon three interconnected realities. Three interconnected realities found in our text. Number one, the gospel. This hope is found in the gospel and nowhere else. Verse one and two. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, in which you also stand, by which you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Paul says, I want to give you the gospel. And as most of you know, the gospel means the good news. And all this news I've given you so far, we've had this utopian nonsense, and we've had the despair and fear that grip the hearts and lives of so many people. And then there is good news. And I want to put the word the in front of that, folks. The good news. The only good news that the world needs to hear. The good news. It's found in the gospel. And there's two elements he, he mentions here of that good news. And first of all, that Christ died for our sins. Verse 3, for I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture and that he was buried. Christ's death is a, is a historical fact. 
it's as grounded in, in history and factuality as any historical event could possibly be. And very few skeptics even deny that. On top of that, he says that he not only died, he died for our sins. And so it, it is is not the, a death. Everybody dies. Many die as martyrs. But he died for, get that little preposition, for, on behalf of, because of our sin. He died to do for us what nothing else could do. Take our sins. To cover our sins. To pay for our sins. To take our sins upon himself. He died for our sins. That is the good news. There's a second element, and that is found in verse 4, where he says that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, the resurrection. The second part of the good news is Christ not only died for our sins, he resurrected from the grave. He's alive today. A dead Savior can save no one. He is not in a tomb. He is alive and he is well. But the passage here, as much as we turn to this for the gospel, doesn't tell us how to respond to the gospel. For that, I want you to run back very quickly to the book of Luke. And one of the last times Jesus commissioned his disciples, in Luke chapter 24, verse 46 and 47, I want you to note this, what Jesus says. In verse 46, Luke 24, 46, And he said to them, Thus it is written, that Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. Same thing Paul said. Christ would die for our sins and he would be resurrected. Then look at the response to this message of good news. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. Notice the response. The response Jesus calls for here is repentance. Repentance is the non-negotiable response to the gospel message. Repentance means a change of mind, and if you're taking notes or thinking hard here, it's a change of mind about three things. It's a change of mind about who Jesus Christ is. Before salvation, Jesus Christ might have been a historical figure to you, might have been someone you believed in, but now you know that he is the Lord and the Savior of the universe. You changed your mind about Jesus. Secondly, you changed your mind about your sin. Before salvation, you, sin was a mistake. You didn't, even, you didn't even use the word sin. Uh, you used misfortunes or, what, or, or something else. But you did not use the word sin probably. You saw sin as unfortunate but not so bad. Now that you've come to Christ, you see sin as the most hideous thing in the universe. It, it's corrupted your soul. It's corru- it sends you to hell. It, 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 it's corrupted and polluted the world. Sin is awful and hideous. You've changed your mind about sin. You see sin very differently in yourself and in the world. And then you change your mind about a third thing, your ability. Prior to salvation, you thought you could, you could make it on your own. Whatever you believed in, a utopian system or whatever it might be, or heaven or hell, you believed you could get to heaven or hell, heaven on your own. You could work it out. You could find a way. You changed your mind about that. You recognize your sin is so powerful, so hideous, so ugly. And then you look into your own heart and you say, I can do nothing about this. There's nothing I can do to change my heart. There's nothing I can do to save myself. I'm, I'm, I'm left in despair. And then we changed our mind and our repentance and realized that what we can't, did, didn't, cannot do, he did for us, dying for our sins. And, and our abilities are no good, but his are. 
Now, if you're knowledgeable of Scripture, you know Ephesians 2 and other places say that we're saved, we receive the grace of God by faith alone. So Jesus is not adding another step of repentance. Repentance and saving faith are two sides of the same coin. It, you cannot have, let me say this clearly, you cannot have, you do not have saving faith if you do not have repentance about who Jesus is, about your sin, and about your ability. It's absolutely essential. That is what saving faith is all about. Now what's the result of this? If you come to Jesus Christ by, and receive this gift, it says you're saved. But look at the resulting benefit of this repentance. Notice that same verse of scripture. For the forgiveness of sins. That repentance for the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed. Forgiveness of sins. Someone has said this. If you, um, if you ask a hundred people if they want forgiveness, a hundred people will say, yeah, sure. Can I have that with fries? And maybe a large Pepsi. They have no sense whatsoever of God, of their great need for forgiveness. But this is what the scripture says here. When our minds are open to the truth of scripture, verse 45, we realize here that the resulting benefit of repentance is forgiveness of sin. Forgiveness means dismissal. It means release. It means we've been set free from three things. The penalty, the power, and the presence of sin. We've been set free from the penalty of sin. We no longer are under the condemnation of God. We've been saved from the domination of sin. We no longer have to sin. We will sin, but we don't have to sin. And ultimately, we'll be freed from the presence of sin for all eternity. Won't that be the most glorious of all things? This is the uniqueness of Christianity. There is no other message in the world like this. No other religion, no other philosophy offers forgiveness of sin in this life and in the next. Hinduism, animism, Buddhism, Islam, Judaism, psychology, whatever philosophy you want to follow are all have in common one thing. The problem can be solved by yourself with the help of your religion or your gurus. And Christianity says you can never solve your problem with the help of anyone except Jesus Christ. That is the message of Christianity. That's the good news. It's such good news that most people don't want it. If you could tell me six steps to take to be saved, I'll do it. But if you tell me that there's nothing I can do, that Christ did it all, and my, my obligation is to believe by faith and repent of my sin, well, I don't know if I want to do that. How blind most people are. Salvation is a gift of God. Forgiveness of sin is a pardon. A pardon. So our hope is grounded in the first reality of the gospel. Secondly, go back to 1 Corinthians 15. It's grounded in the historical resurrection of Jesus Christ. The very foundation of the Christian faith rests in the resurrection of Christ. Listen, you can write this in the front of your Bible if you want to. No resurrection, no Christianity. No resurrection, no salvation. Everything hinges on the resurrection. Michael Horton in the book I referenced a while ago had a, a debate with Bill Nye, the science guy. You remember him? 
Bill Nye is an atheistic scientist who has some media presence and a very articulate kind of guy. He, he, he went first and uh, he talked about religion, Christianity and so forth being on par with fuzzy things like teddy bears and, and uh, comfy blankets and, and uh, fear of death is religious uh, is, the, is fueled, it fuels the religious opium. And then when Horton had an opportunity to speak, he said this, I agree with almost everything Bill just said. And Bill was surprised by that. But then he said, How, now could I mention the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And they went on for 30 minutes to lay out the historical and scientific evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I had nothing to rebut that with. He wasn't, he wasn't ready to hear of the factual, historical, evidential truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This passage of scripture we're looking at here, we see that when Jesus came, and it says he, he was raised on the third day, when that happened, in verses 5 on down, he, he calls witnesses to that resurrection. When that happened, my friends, something new had happened in history. Death had been defeated. The door which had been shut forever had now been opened by Jesus Christ. The open tomb opened the way to eternal life. And without the resurrection, there is no such thing as eternal life. But there's even more. When Jesus defeated death, he also, and declared himself victor over death, he also declared himself the victor over the devil. He then began a ministry in his new resurrected life. He, the resurrection declared him Lord over the universe, the very Son of God, and he initiated the ministries as the head of the church, as our great high priest, as the one who intercedes for us, and on and on we could go. All because the resurrection is true. In other words, folks, leave out the resurrection and Jesus is still in the grave. And if Jesus is still in the grave, then no one is saved. Look at verse 12 to 14 of this passage. Now if Christ is preached that he's been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there's no resurrection of the dead? And if there's no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is, in, is vain and your faith is also vain. There's no hope. There's no hope in this life. There's no hope in eternity. You should despair. Utopianism doesn't work. We've seen that. There's only, the only thing left is fear and despair and doing the best you can till you die. And then who knows what? But if Jesus Christ conquered death, if he resurrected from the dead, and he came forth with a new message, a message never proclaimed before, that Jesus Christ has conquered death, nothing has been able to do that except Jesus Christ. If Christ has not done that, then, then Peggy is right. Is that all there is? Then let's grab a, a beer and party on. Same game came up some years ago on the ad with the, for the Budweiser, that famous ad. You want to go around once in life, so grab a Bud and party on. That is the best life has to offer. Unless Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. And then our message has changed from gloom and defeat and fear and despair to defiant hope in all who believe in Jesus Christ 
and his message. And it's because of the importance of the resurrection that Paul calls these witnesses here. Look, look at verse 5. And he, be, and he appeared to Cephas and to, then to the twelve. And after that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. But then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Witnesses of the resurrection. This was no fraud. There's, this is not a fraud. It happened. And people were alive at this time who could testify to it. On top of that, some who have claimed that the apostles made it all up to keep their careers going are, are nonsense. The apostles were absolutely defeated at the cross. They wanted to go back to their jobs and just leave it all behind. And when the, then the resurrection. And with the resurrection and the ascension, everything changed. Their lives changed. Their hearts changed. They went out and changed the world for Jesus Christ. You don't do that if you know. You don't do that for a fraud. You don't do such, something like that if you know you're, you're going to put yourself in jeopardy. If you know you're going to be martyred. If you know you're going to take your wife and your precious children out into a world that hates them. And will probably kill them as well. And your friends. You don't do that for a fraud. You only do that if it's true. And so the resurrection is true. So our hope is grounded in the gospel. It's grounded in the resurrection. One more thing quickly. It's grounded in the grace of God. Look at verse 8. And last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Paul now turns our attention to himself. But not to say, look at me. Look at what I've done. He turns our attention to him for us to wonder at the grace of God. So I want you to note in verses 9 and 10, verse 10 in particular, three times he mentions grace. For I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am and his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than them all and yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it is I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. The theme is not Paul and his greatness. The theme is grace and its greatness. Why was Paul, a, who was a murderer, who was a hater of the church, who, who, who persecuted Christ himself, Christ said in book, the book of Acts, why was he saved? Why was he rescued? Why was he put out to, to be the great apostle that he became? Not because of who he was, but because of the grace of God. And so the grace of God is the third piece of reality. Now I began this message with a long introduction concerning our struggles. We struggle with many things on this planet. And in light of our inevitable death, and humanity has to come up with three basic options. Utopianism, which never works. Despair, which leads us to a life of fear and, and tragedy and hope. Most people duck their heads and just muddle through life. But that's no better. You see, you can, you can do that. You can just kind of get by as long as you can. Or you can, you can hope for something that will never happen. Or you can despair and live in fear. Or you can come to the only good news possible that's found in Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection. Christ, my friends, has come at the incarnation. He has broke into our time. Christ lived a perfect life. 
Christ went to the cross and died for our sins. Christ resurrected from the dead, conquering death. And Jesus Christ is coming again for you and for me. Now that is good news, right? Let's pray. Father, thank you for good news. Thank you that in a world that looks so dark sometimes and and fearful, but so uncertain, that we have the precious good news of what you have done in Jesus Christ. We'll give you praise for that, Father. And as I close out the message here, I know there are some here who don't know you as Savior. And I just pray that you will grip their hearts today, that today is the day that they repent about their beliefs about you, about sin, and about their own selves and their ability, and turn to Christ by faith alone for the good news of the hope of the gospel found in the resurrection, resurrected Christ. We pray in his name, in your name. Amen.